Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And speaking of to-do lists, in June, our series on the blog is all about emotional labor and mental load, or the stuff that women carry around in our heads that we are trying to balance for our families and how that so often exhausts us and causes a lot of marriage problems that don't need to be there. So we're all about solutions this month. We're going to talk about how to even the load, how to drop some of the stuff you don't need to be doing, but also how to think about it differently so that it's much easier and so it doesn't kill your libido. So I have brought Rebecca on the podcast with me. Hello. And we are going to talk about this. Okay, so let me tell you the story of how this got started. All right. All right. Now we have two different stories because you were the one who first read about the term emotional labor and told me about it. And then my cousin Danielle talked to me about it. So what happened was I was out in Vancouver Island on my cousin in my cousin's house, and my husband and I were uh, planning a trip. We were planning an Antarctic cruise before COVID. We were actually on like one of the last cruises that the Zandam went on before it got like at sea where it couldn't come in. So thank goodness we went in January, not in February. But. Um, when I was planning this trip, I was in, in Vancouver and I got an email from our travel agent asking if we wanted to do a penguin excursion. And I yelled at Keith and I said, hey, hon, I got this email. And he said, yeah, I got it too. And I said, great, I'm going to delete mine and not even look at it. And my cousin started laughing and she said, oh my gosh, you guys are living out a book I just read. And she told me about this book called Fair Play, where the author Eve Rodsky took all of the tasks that go into managing a house and she talked about how you can divide them up so that people own different tasks and then the other person doesn't have to think about it. And so Keith owned the vacation task and so I wasn't thinking about it and she just thought this was hilarious. But that's what Keith and I have managed to do over the last few years is own different tasks. And having Keith own certain tasks was like revolutionary for our marriage because then I didn't have to have all of these things in my head all at the same time. And this is something we hear from women all of the time, especially since we've put out the Boost Your Libido course. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of people emailing us saying, you know, I want to have a good marriage. I want to want sex. But how on earth can I want sex when I'm just so stressed all the time? Yep. Like, I can't turn it off because if I turn it off, nothing gets done. And if I turn it off for even a second, I realize I've forgotten something the next morning because no one else is taking control of this except for me. And so everything's on my shoulders. How am I supposed to get out of my head and enjoy sex that way? Yeah, because women can't enjoy sex if we can't concentrate. And if you have a million things that you need to remember because no one else is thinking of them, things like, okay, I have to make sure that I get the snack for the class tomorrow, I have to make sure that Johnny gets to karate at 7.15, but Melissa, you know, has a science project due the next day, so somehow we've got to do that before I have to take Johnny to karate, and I have to take the meat out to make dinner tomorrow night so that it defrosts throughout the day, and, you know, and then I have to return um, the phone call to the air-conditioned repairman because it didn't actually get repaired and I, you know, I have to book the dentist appointments and all of these things are in your head all the time. And it's, it's a unique kind of stress Mm -hmm. because it's not like life and death stress. I mean, some people have really stressful jobs. My husband has a really stressful job. I mean, he's a pediatrician. He does, you know, he he does resuscitations. (laughs) Yeah. He does make life and death decisions a lot of times in his 
position. Right. And so, you know, we're not talking about that kind of stress, but I think actually that's part of the problem is because we're not talking about that kind of stress, people often discount the stress that goes into just having a household. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like there's just because a stress is not acute doesn't mean that it's not chronic. Yes. And chronic stress is very bad too, right? Like there's different Mm -hmm. forms of torture, okay? Yeah. (laughs) There's torture where you get your fingers broken. And then there's torture where you have one drop of water just falling on your head. Over and over (laughs) and over again. And it's actually a very effective one. Yeah. From what I've seen. Yeah. Like it's, there's, there's different kinds of things that can harm and damage and can really, really, really just make your life kind of screwy. Mm-hmm. And so just because you aren't getting your fingers broken doesn't mean it's not hard. Yes. And the problem is that often, it's not always the case, but often it's the case that women bear the majority of the emotional labor and mental load. So we, wanted, we want to unpack this a bit in this podcast. We talked about it a lot in Mondays and Tuesdays posts on the blog, and those were really quite extensive and we Mm -hmm. will link to those in the podcast uh, post that goes along with this podcast so please check out those links and read the comments were really interesting as well Um, so some great discussion on that and uh, but we want to unpack that so Eve Rodsky wrote this book Fair Play and that's what I'm basing a lot of the series on this month Fair Play is not a Christian book. She does have some questionable language, so just full disclosure there. But I found (laughs) it a really interesting book, and she's got a really cool system to help deal with this issue that isn't, like, blaming your spouse, and it's just a way of opening up communication, which I thought was helpful. But here is how she defined emotional labor and mental load. Okay, so emotional labor is what we often talk about when we mean a mental load, but they're two different things. So emotional labor is the maintaining relationships and managing emotions work, like calling your in-laws, sending thank you notes, buying teacher gifts, and soothing meltdowns in Target. Uh, the work of caring can be some of the most exhausting labor, but providing middle-of-the-night comfort is what makes you a wonderful and dependable parent. Mm-hmm. So emotional labor is like the planning of the anniversary parties for your in-laws. It's it's the person who steps in when the siblings are fighting to try to stop the siblings from fighting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the person who helps the, the teenager de-stress after the breakup. It's all of the managing of emotions that go into the household. Yeah, exactly. In my case, it would be writing the newsletter for our family who lives far away so they can keep updated with little Alex so I don't really put them on social media. Exactly. Yes. Okay, now mental load is something else. This is mental load. It's the never-ending mental to-do list you keep for all of your family tasks. Though not as heavy as a bag of rocks, the constant details banging around in your mind nonetheless weigh you down. Mental overload creates stress, fatigue, and often forgetfulness. And I think the forgetfulness part is actually the most important there because when you're overloaded, you're so stressed that you're going to forget something because you're so stressed, you keep forgetting something, which kind of reiterates in your mind, I am right to be stressed about this. This is bad. I'm not good at this. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing this good enough. And you keep forgetting because you just keep this chronic stress going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone would just come and take some of the weight off your shoulders, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the the amount of work might not change that much, Mm -hmm. but your feeling of competency and your feelings of security can go way up. Mm -hmm. 
So let me back up for a minute before we get into, I, I want to sketch out what mental load can look like, but let me back up for a minute and tell you a story. I asked on Facebook a couple of years ago for some ideas for how husbands can get their wives in the mood. Mm-hmm. You know, what can your, what can your husband do to get you in the mood? And about 50% of the answers had to do with something about housework. Yeah. Like do the dishes, um, you know, pick up a mop, vacuum, vacuum, something like that. And so women automatically answer that. That's what they go to, you know, is just help me so that I'm not so exhausted. But then what I hear from men all the time and what my husband hears from men is, but I do do the dishes and it doesn't help. Yes. Right? So so you have these guys who are saying, hey, hon, what can I do? And she says, well, in, in exasperation, well, I don't know, just do the dishes or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so he does and she doesn't seem happier. Yep. And so the guys are like, look, I am trying to help. (laughs) And you say that this will boost your libido, but it isn't boosting your libido. So what's really going on? And here's the problem. What women need help with is not the executing of the tasks. It's not actually getting the tasks done. What women want is for someone else just to notice that they need to get done and to take ownership of the tasks. Exactly. Like do the dishes without having to be asked, can you do the dishes when there's a pile of dishes the height of Mount Everest on the counter that you were just as capable of seeing as she was, but just kind of <laughs> didn't register. Yeah. And I, we do not, please understand, we are not trying to do this podcast as a man bashing no. thing. No. Because I truly believe that most guys want to want to truly help their wives. Well, and in, uh, in my marriage, Connor and I, in our marriage, um, the emotional labor thing has been a major conversation along uh, for, uh, quite, quite often, but we're both very messy people mm-hmm. and we see very different things, mm-hmm. right? And so both of us have had to learn how to see what the other person sees. So it's not always one way. It's, sometimes you're both equally bad at this <laughs> is what I'm saying, <laughs> you know, like in our case, but, um, but we've both been able to learn how to see the other person's stuff and we're both getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk, we're going to talk in future podcasts about how we've, we've actually done this in a practical way. Right. But it's not just that like, it's all, it's not just always that we're saying that women, poor women are married to these guys who don't know what they're doing. That's not what we're saying. It's just that there is a norm in society that is often kind of ignored because it's just the norm. Mm-hmm. And it's harmful to a lot of marriages. And I think what both women and men don't always realize is how much um, stuff she has going on in her brain that she is trying to manage. Mm-hmm. And it's not just housework. That's the thing. So I told on the blog a story of Sandra and Mark, and we're going to keep revisiting the story throughout the month in different in different ways um, in other posts. But I told the story of the Saturday morning that went wrong. Okay, so Sandra and Mark, they have a good marriage. Mark's a good guy. <laughs> and he says to his wife, who's really busy and really stressed, you know, take Saturday morning off, go do whatever you want to do. I've got the kids. So she goes to the gym, she goes to some antique markets, she gets a coffee, you know, and then she comes home and she feels great. Uh, and then when she gets home, she realizes that. Um, the birthday present for the birthday party that their son has to go to later this afternoon is still not wrapped. Um, their son has not worked on the science project that's sitting in the middle of the dining room table that is due the next week. Their daughter, who has a piano recital, hasn't practiced. Um, the, the laundry that she asked Mark to get out of the dryer 
um, is still in the dryer, meaning that all of the shirts are wrinkled, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff. And and she starts feeling upset because they have to leave in two hours to go to this birthday party, but they have to get all this stuff done in the next two hours. And so she starts ordering the kids around. Okay, you know, you got to go do your science project and, and um, you know, you got to practice piano. And meanwhile, the kids are all upset at her for being such a mean mom because they had such a fun time with dad this morning going biking and everything. <laughs> but she's like, but... But why didn't he think of these things? Exactly. And then the problem is that the four hours off in the morning simply means that the next two hours are worse mm-hmm. than the six hours would have been. Likely. Right. So that's the hard part is that now she has to do six hours worth of work in two hours. Yeah. Because all these things that should have been noticed weren't. Yeah. And when we can argue, well, should they have been noticed? And, and is she making too big a deal out of it? And that's what a lot of people are saying in the comments is, is she making too big a deal out of this? But I don't think it's making too big a deal. If your son has a science project due, depending on his age, I mean, if a teenager has a science project due, yeah, he should do a science project without being reminded. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, dad shouldn't necessarily be dangling, hey, let's go bowling unless any of you have homework. Like, yeah. as a parent, your responsibility is to provide the boundaries around your kids so they can make the right decisions, right? If you mm-hmm. have, we, we said they were a six and eight year old in this story. I don't know if right? I actually said like their age. I think but, I said it in the comments, but I didn't. But, but yeah. Say they're, say they're young kids. Kids, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you have young kids, why isn't the dad supposed to know about their homework or the birthday party or what's going on in their kids' lives? Like, why mm-hmm. why isn't the dad supposed to know that Janie's piano recital is coming up? And why isn't he supposed to care, right? Because mm-hmm. if, sh- if the mom doesn't care, then everything would have gone completely awry for this family. Mm-hmm. But dad didn't care and okay, well it's okay cuz mom is going to do it. And that's the problem is that mom doesn't have a fail safe. Yeah. That's what the problem with mental load is that mom doesn't have a fail safe in a lot right. of times. Right. If she doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. Yep. And these things are important. Mhm. Now, Mark and and is a good husband. Yeah. Okay? Like this is a good guy. He's trying to help. Mm-hmm. He was he was he had fun with the kids that morning. It just doesn't occur to him to check in on homework and to check in on what other things need to be done because she is always carrying it. Yeah, because he has a fail-safe. And that is what is so exhausting is to be the fail-safe for everything in the family. Yeah. Um, and again, we totally understand that a lot of guys have really stressful jobs and we're not saying that they're supposed to take on 50% of the housework or 50% of all of this stuff. That's not the point. <laughs> but it is important that she doesn't have, carry all of the mental load of the house because I don't think people understand just how tiring that can be. You know, and, and we, we someone in the comments said that um, their husband says, well, I make the money and so you look after the house meaning that all he has to do is work outside the house. And I don't think people get that working outside the house, depending on your job, in general, working eight hours a day is much easier than being on 24 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. And also, that's not even to mention the fact that many studies have found that even when the woman is the sole breadwinner in the family, she still does more than 50% of the housework. Mm-hmm. So there, and this is not every single family, but what we're saying is there is a norm here. Mm-hmm. So we need to challenge it. Yeah. Because this is not healthy. Right. And again, it's not just about housework. It's about supervising kids' homework. It's yes. about remembering that one of them has a birthday party to go to this weekend, which means we need to buy a birthday 
present and we need to wrap that present and we need to get them to the party and we need to get them home. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about um, feeling like, like, here's a simple example. A, gu- a guy often feels free to arrange a golf game on a Saturday because he assumes that the wife is going to look after the kids and look after all the other stuff. Yeah. But women very rarely arrange outings without checking with absolutely everybody first. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mental load we're talking about. Yeah. Well, the way I was explaining it the other day is we were talking about the idea of the housework often looks on the surface like it's just about the execution, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like if in a family, this is totally obviously ridiculous, but say every single day you had to carry 50 bricks from one side of the house to the other, Mm -hmm. right? The execution might be seven of those bricks. Mm -hmm. Right? But then each brick, you need to think about, okay, so in order to actually make dinner, you need to meal prep, look in the fridge, you have to make a budget, you have to figure out what things are on sale, you have to, you know, um, analyze, okay, is this going to be enough for us to have leftovers or not? And if not, how can I make these leftovers stretch so that we can all have lunches the next day? So there's like nine or ten bricks that go into the one brick that is cooking dinner. And so the husband comes along and says, it's okay, sweetie, I'll cook dinner. And she's like, okay, but like, what about the other nine bricks? Are you also going to meal prep? Are you going to make sure it's within our budget? Are you going to do this? Is it going to have vegetables? Is it going to, there's all these different things. And so the the guy often comes along and says, but I made dinner. Why aren't you relaxed? Like I Mm -hmm. made dinner. And she's like, yes, but you didn't then take enough of the dinner to put aside for lunches the next day. And so we let, you know, Georgie have seconds and thirds when he could have just had second or thirds of salad instead. And yeah. And so there's all these other things that go into it. And so just taking the one brick doesn't necessarily help if she's coming behind you holding nine. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's what is so exhausting. Um, And so in in the book Fair Play, um, what Eve Rodsky talks about is the difference between conception, planning and execution for tasks. Execution, so for like with the meal planning, mm-hmm. execution is making the meal, but conception and planning are, you know, doing all that that um, meal planning work and then the actually going grocery shopping and all of that stuff that goes into it as well. And that's what's often not taken into consideration. So the question is then, how, how, so the question is, how are we going to manage this? And what what's often suggested as the solution is for women to just make lists. Yes. <laughs> you know, just tell him what he needs to do. And I have to admit that I've said this in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think that this is important, you know, to ask for help, to tell him what needs to be done. I just think it goes deeper than that. But that's yeah. often the solution that's given. And in some of the comments on Monday, that's what people said. Look, women are just better at looking after the house so if you need something done, just give them a list. Yeah. Yeah. And what Rodsky points out in the book and what a lot of our commenters said too is that that's a really terrible dynamic. And for most people, making the list itself is work. Yeah. Well, I know in our marriage, and Connor's talked about this in previous podcasts, right? That was our mantra for a long time. Connor's like, it's okay. I'll do whatever you want. Like, just tell me what to do. And it wasn't until he started realizing oh, I need to do it even if she doesn't tell me to. (laughs) That, like, it actually got a lot better. Yeah. You know, and we actually started to not fight about this stuff as much. Mm -hmm. And usually whenever we do fight about it, it's usually because one of us isn't thinking about it until the other, and just waiting on the other person. Mm -hmm. Right? We each need to take initiative because that's when I felt like I had a real partner. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that made a huge difference. And yeah, Connor's talked about that in length on a previous podcast. Yeah, and his, we'll link we'll link to some of those. Yeah, about his well. his mentality shift where he realized, oh, I'm not doing this for her. I'm doing this for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that was huge. And that's what emotional labor is, and mental load is. It's taking the mental load upon yourself because it's your responsibility as well. Yeah, and it, because it does set up a weird dynamic. Yeah, if the wife is always making a list for the husband to do then she's kind of treating him like a subordinate or well, like a child. Well, the funny fight we kept on getting into was he'd say, well, just tell me what to do when he was cleaning the bathroom. He'd say, okay, we'll do this. And then he'd say, but don't stand over my shoulder. I was like, well, what am I supposed to tell you what to do then? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And so, so, and the solution is often so simple. It's just teach your spouse how to do it and then, ex- and then give them opportunities to do it. Yeah. And then expect, yeah, expect them to do, and, and the teacher spells how to do it. We're, we'll, we'll get into that in, I think it's in next week's podcast. I think so. Yeah. We're going to talk about minimum community standards and mm-hmm. how to decide if you are expecting too much or also, um, if they're not doing enough mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, and how to work out that problem, because that is something a lot of people have said, well, women just have too high standards. And it's like, uh, not always. That's yeah. not always the problem. It is in a lot of cases. It's not in all of them. Yeah. Uh, and so that can't just be our mantra. Well, she just has to not expect so much. So yes. we are going to talk about that. Um, I think next week, but, but, um, this idea that women should just make a list really does set this dynamic where we're no longer partners. Yeah, it's a manager and subordinate kind of situation. Yeah, and and making a list in and of itself is still a lot of mental load. You yeah. still have to think about all the stuff that needs to get done. Like if I'm going to make a list um, about what housework needs to be done this weekend, then I still need to think. Yeah. I still need to... You're still picking up the nine bricks so that he can carry one. Yeah. And and that's part of the issue. Like Laura said in the comments, she said, I signed up for a marriage of equals not to be the boss of a subordinate. <laughs> and and we, we had that a lot in the comments. I think a lot of women, though, just don't know how to articulate it. That's why they're saying, I just want my husband to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't realize that, no, what I really want is for him to do the dishes without being told to do the dishes. Yeah, exactly. Or like in the Sandra and Mark case, you know, all of the stuff for the science project is sitting right there on the dining room table. Mm -hmm. So you just want him to see it without you having to supervise it. Yeah. And I know that for me personally, what I've really managed to pinpoint about the emotional labor stuff is that for me, it's a trust and security issue. Mm-hmm. Like when Connor, when I come upstairs after Connor's taking care of the baby and I see that he's not only taking care of the baby, but he's folded laundry and done dishes, mm-hmm. I can just trust knowing that everything is okay. And I know that may sound silly to some people, but it's, I know that this guy can take care of me and can take care of his family. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm not alone. Yeah. You know, and I know that I don't destroy this, shoulder this alone. And it really is a trust thing. It's, I can trust his word. He tells me, you get to go work today and I'll take care of the household stuff. And he's going to do it. In fact, mm-hmm. he actually tends to do it a little bit more consistently than I do when it comes to our, our big weekly and monthly chores. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but because we've gotten a really good system in place. But mm-hmm. for me, it's really a trust and security thing. And if I had to constantly carry all the stress in my marriage, mm-hmm. I would not feel like I could fully, fully trust him mm-hmm. because he wouldn't have proven himself in that way. Yeah. And I know for many people that might say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. This isn't a trust issue whether or not the dishes get done. But it is because I trust that Connor cares about me and my mental health and how much I just enjoy life enough to say, 
I'm going to look after the dishes whenever I notice them. Right. You know, it is. It's a trust that they're looking out for your well-being, not just your actual physical safety or the uh, the, structure, the structural integrity of your marriage mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's about you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a way that a spouse can tell their wife, I not only see what you do for me, but I see you. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what women are often lacking. Now, again, we are not saying that guys are not doing work. No. <laughs> um, you know, many, most guys do have full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Not all, but most guys do. And millennial dads especially are doing more and more of the housework. A lot more. Uh, but what Rodsky found is that in general, men tend to do the tasks of running the household that don't need to be done at a specific time. Whereas women tend to hold the tasks that need to be done over and over again at specific times. So women are the ones who cook the meals, um, who get the lunches ready, who get the kids ready in the morning, um, who fold the laundry. Men are often the ones who do the yard work or who balance the books. You know, things that they can do on their own time. Mm-hmm. Like sometime within a five-hour period on Saturday. Yeah, or sometime even this week, yeah. right? You know, if the, if the lawn doesn't get cut today... Or even if the lawn doesn't get cut for four days, the worst that can happen is that the neighbors will look at you funny. Yes. Right? (laughs) Whereas dinner needs to be made. Yes. You know, the kids need to be put in bed. Laundry needs to be done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? And so it's these daily grind tasks that most women take. And that's the issue that, that she encapsulates so much is that the daily grind stuff is often what women just kind of own by default. And that's what's the most exhausting. Mm-hmm. So no one's saying that women work more than men. That's not well, really... Well, research is showing that also. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but but the point that, that we want to make here is, like, I know there's a lot of marriages where guys do work really, really hard. Yeah. Like, they're outside, like, all day on Saturday getting stuff done. And, mm-hmm. like, they... Like, half their weekend every week is just honestly mm-hmm. working, working, working. And so they're saying, look, I'm doing all this. Why isn't my wife happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the answer is because she's just really, really weighed down by the daily grind stuff. Yeah. And it does wear on you when you never feel like you can take a break. Yes. Because if you take a break, the daily grind doesn't get done and it needs to get done. And we had a number of people say in the comments, I'm just going to read you. um, uh, We had one woman say, I told a close friend that I was longing for a serious illness to put me in the hospital so I could be cared for for a while. And she said, in all seriousness, every single one of my friends with kids has said the same thing at one point or another. If that doesn't tell you how hard the mental load is, I don't know what would. Yeah, exactly. It's like that scene from Date Night. I have tried to find this scene on YouTube so many times because I want to put it up on the blog, but I think that it's, you know, copyrighted and probably the movie people keep taking it down whenever anyone posts it. But for any of you who have ever seen the movie, they're sitting in the van and they're talking and she's talking about how, oh, they're talking about their fantasies, right? Mm -hmm. And they're talking, he's got some weird sex fantasy. I can't remember what it is. And her fantasy is going to a hotel by herself for a day with a diet sprite. Yes. And that's it. Like just (laughs) sitting in a hotel room by herself for a day with the diet spray. And he can't believe that she would want this. But the idea of not having anybody demand anything of her for a day is just so freeing. Mm -hmm. And that this is what a lot of women are carrying. And I got to tell you, the reason why I wanted to talk about this so much 
is, I mean, yes, it's partly because I think this is a big issue and it's an equity issue and couples need to be doing this better. But more, when you think about what my, I blog about, it's because this is the number one thing that women say stop them from having a libido. Yeah, and it's the number one thing that women say they wish they could get back to like the beginning of their marriage or to when they were dating when they didn't have this load. Yeah, like this is what often kills libido and nobody wants that. Like most of us want great sex lives. Most men want great sex lives, but it's amazing how when you talk about this, like a lot of guys get really defensive. Yeah. And I, I just wanna encourage you, if you're a guy listening, put down the defensiveness for a minute and just think, okay, <laughs> if this is what is hurting my wife's libido, what can we do about it? And yeah. over the course of this month, we're going to give you a bunch of solutions. In fair play, um, what she does is she divides up all of the tasks mm -hmm. that can possibly be done, and she makes cards out of them. There's a hundred cards. <laughs> and she laminated them and everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> like you can buy them laminated. They're a lot of fun. Um, you can discard the cards you decide you're not going to do. I fully, full, like for instance, she, she advises, look, if you're not going to send out Christmas cards, then get rid of the Christmas card, yeah. card, right? Which I fully embrace. Get yes. rid of any cards Save the trees. you can. Save the trees. <laughs> um, like, get rid of stuff that you decide you don't need to do as a family. Um, but then the stuff that you do want to do, hand out the cards, and the person who owns the card is responsible for conception, planning, and execution. Yes. Not just execution. Exactly. <laughs> and for the men who are feeling a little bit like we're saying they're not doing enough or that they have to do more and that it's a little bit unfair, I just want to ask, can you just reframe this in your mind? Not about... And not as something saying, well, my wife just doesn't appreciate what I'm doing, but more that there might be a very, very easy way to show the most profound love to your wife mm -hmm. that she's been asking for. Yeah. You know, this is such an easy way to have your wife feel seen. Because mm -hmm. a lot of wives feel very cherished and loved, but they don't feel seen. Yeah. And so I really... And sometimes, yeah, it can be a little bit hard to hear. You know, this might be something that has not been going as well as you think it's been going, mm -hmm. you know, in your household. But talk to your wife about it, mm -hmm. you know, and be open to just this amazing gift that this can be for your marriage. Because honestly, like Connor will be the first one to tell you, like, I just became so much happier. And so did he because I stopped nagging him quite <laughs> as much either, you know. But like we, we both just kind of, we felt like our marriage kind of just blossomed even more when we got this part kind of sorted out. Yeah. You yeah. know, it made a big difference. And it doesn't always mean that he's going to end up doing more. No. It just means that he's going to carry the mental load for more things. Exactly. He might actually end up not working in time terms a whole lot more. Yeah, I think Connor actually probably does about the same amount of cleaning as he did before, but the thing is I don't have to remind him to do it. Yeah, because he owns it. And that's the thing is that we just want people to own it. And and when you're dividing up the cards, what she says is that the magic number seems to be 21. As long as as each person owns at least 21 cards, even if the other person owns 79, they feel like that's fair mm -hmm. <laughs> because often if you're if you're in a you know one spouse works and one spouse stays at home obviously the person who stays at home is going to do more around the house yeah and that's the way it should be 
But you can't do it all. Yes. And especially when children are involved, you shouldn't do it all. Especially because it creates this weird good cop, bad cop routine with your kids where Mm -hmm. you get to have fun with dad on the weekend until mom comes home. And tells you to practice piano. And and tells you to do your homework. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but also, like, your kids need their dad. Like, both Connor Mm -hmm. and Joanna, who works on the blog, her husband, Josiah, both Connor and Josiah have always done bath time. Yep. And and bedtime. And Connor feeds the baby. The baby just spits anything out that I feed him that is not breast milk. Uh Like, (laughs) he will not eat for me. You know? And so Connor's like, I don't understand why you don't like feeding the baby. I was like, because he doesn't like being fed by me. Okay? (laughs) He does great for Connor. He does amazing. So Connor does a lot of daily grind tasks with Alex, mm-hmm. you know, and he just naturally has been doing that since day one. I think I've given the kid five baths. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's seven months old. Yeah. Gets a bath at least once a day. Uh-huh. It's a very, very messy boy. So... <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but doing those daily grind tasks as a dad means that you have that relationship with your kids. And, oh my goodness, yes. And children are not a task. Children are a relationship. Yes. That needs to be fostered. And so it's wrong if the mom carries all of the mental load for the kids and does all of those tasks for the kids. That's, that's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Even if the dad works full time and the mom's at home because the kids need the dad. Well, and that's what Joanna was talking about. And she actually commented that as well, is that her dad worked a very high-powered job where Mm -hmm. he was gone a lot. And the reason that, you know, they were so close with him anyway was that the minute he was home, he was so invested in everything they were doing. Yeah. You know, he was helping them with their music lessons or with their Bible quizzing memorization or with their homework. He was so invested in everything they did, taking on the mental load with children, Mm -hmm. that they didn't feel like they had a mom and then a dad who came to visit. Right. Okay, two more concepts as we're wrapping up that I really want to talk about. One is decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because this is a big part of mental load, and this is what a lot of women deal with. And let me give you an example. I gave this on the blog, but uh, wife sends husband to grocery store with a list of what to buy. Yes. And then wife is very busy. Maybe she's making dinner. Maybe she's supervising homework, but she's in the middle of something. And And she gets a text from the husband saying... There's no red peppers. Can I get orange peppers instead? And she's thinking, of course you can get orange peppers. Like, just get the orange peppers. But she says, yes, she texts back, yes, that's fine. And she's annoyed. And then the husband gets home and senses that she's annoyed. Then the husband is annoyed because he was just trying to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so why why is there always this annoyance thing going on? And I know I had this, I um, since COVID started, I've started baking a lot. I, I didn't used to bake a lot, but I, I don't know why. I think I went into like pioneer mode where I decided that I needed to eat through my closets. Yes. My cupboards. Your and closets. My closets. Yeah, I store food. <laughs> No, I need to eat through my cupboards um, in case the apocalypse comes or something. And and so I needed to get more like a pioneer and not go grocery shopping. And I discovered what to do with rolled oats. I had this chocolate oatmeal, um, wonderful, no-bake cookie thing. They are little drops of heaven. They are amazing. It's so good. Yes, they are the most incredible thing. It's just all butter and chocolate. That's all it, it is. is. Like, you might as well just get a spoon of butter, dip it in cocoa powder, and roll some oats in it. Like, it's and so good. Yes, yes. It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> and so I started making these, and then, lo and behold, I ran out of oats. And so we decided that we would go buy some oats. So I sent Keith to the store to buy oats, and I said, I don't care what you get. Just get, like, large rolled oats. And... He sends back all of these pictures of like five different kinds of oats. And I'm like, 
And he says, which one would you like? I'm like, any of those is fine. I don't care. Just get me oats, right? But he's trying to be helpful. Yeah. And I'm like, I honestly don't care. And, yeah. and that's the decision fatigue that a lot of women have. And that also happens when um, you separate execution from conception and planning. Exactly. When the person who's doing the grocery shopping isn't involved in the meal planning and doesn't know what the item is going to be used for, then yeah. it is hard for them to make those decisions. Exactly. If you're doing a roasted red pepper tomato soup, then you need red peppers. Right. But mm-hmm. if you're making an Asian stir fry, yeah, then... green peppers would be fine. Exactly. Right? So if, if the husband goes into grocery shopping knowing that, they can make the decision themselves. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, and so it's this constant decision fatigue that a lot of women have that they need to make every single decision and to remember everything. And that's often wearing on them. And we, we hear this though, that women are better at this than men. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole, um, uh, like men live their lives in boxes and they can live in the nothing box. Whereas women can't do that. Uh, women are more like spaghetti with everything I... interwoven because women are more multitasking. And, and I've said this, that women are, gil- are, are gifted multitaskers. And that's why women have more mental load is because we're more used to taking on more things all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, research kind of actually says that what you said is correct. Uh-huh. Women who are better at multitasking tasks are better at them because they just do them more. Okay. There's nothing inherently about gender that makes you better or worse at multitasking except in verbal and spatial areas. Okay, so, so the, this sorry. is important. This, yes. is, this is super important because I, I didn't know this yes. until we started talking about this a month ago. I always assumed that women's brains were better at multitasking. No, so there's two different... I'm just going to go into the psychology of it for a bit. There's two different kinds of multitasking, okay? There's concurrent multitasking and serial multitasking. There's a bunch of arguments about other types of multitaskings that can exist, but for the, for the studies that have looked at multitasking and gender, we're talking about concurrent and serial. Concurrent is when you're doing two things at the same time, like talking on the phone while driving, Okay. right? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of tasks. Serial are when you're switching your focus, Mm -hmm. right? So when you have to, you're you're walking through the room and you're trying to get it ready for a meeting and you're trying to remember all things you have to do, but then you get distracted by a phone call that comes in and then you notice that you're missing a chair and then, so all these things where your your attention goes from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. That's serial multitasking. Mm-hmm. Most of the things we do on a day-to-day basis are serial multitasking. Okay. Right? Even if we think we're doing it at the same time, we're not. Okay. So our brains can't actually do two things at the exact same time. Concurrent multitasking, you're just rapidly switching between the two. So I'm putting the sugar and the butter to melt, to, to, to boil together for my chocolate oatmeal things. And while they do that for two and a half minutes, I'm emptying the dishwasher. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's actually cereal, not okay. concurrent. Because okay. your focus is either on the sugar butter or it's on the dishwasher. And we've all been loading the dishwasher and then smelt the sugar butter start to burn. Right. Because we're not actually doing it at the same time. Our attention okay. was shifted. Okay. Right? So there's all these studies that have gone on and some of them have seemed to find... Um, that women tend to perform better at these multitasking tasks. Mm -hmm. But new research has actually proposed that the reason they tend to do better is simply because we have more practice. Okay. So women are expected to multitask more because the kinds of things that we take on train us in these kinds of tasks. Mm -hmm. So for instance, there is a a study that found that women are better at um, multitasking while scanning for an item. Uh Uh-huh. 
um, because women start at um, top left corner and go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, all the way down to the bottom right corner, uh-huh. whereas men start in the middle and go in concentric circles around, and they even miss a whole portion of it. Okay. Well, who's more likely to be looking for Janie's report card? Right. Right? <laughs> like, who's, who's more likely to be, Mom, where's my backpack? Well, it's Mom, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's, there's all these new resources coming out where what they did is they gave people probably a VR set, like a virtual reality headset pretty much, mm-hmm. um, from what I could understand. Or they put them – it, was, it wasn't completely clear how exactly they did, but they created a virtual reality experience, whether it was on a computer or through a set. And they set up a room – that they had, that the participant had to get ready for a business meeting. Okay. And they put in distractors. Uh-huh. So this is a true to life multitasking task. Uh-huh. Okay. So they had ninety six people total, half men, half women, and then they had a control group who didn't have any distractors. Okay. So you realize halfway through, you have six people coming for this for this business meeting. You have six people coming in for this business meeting. You only got five chairs. Okay. So what do you do? And then uh-huh. while you're looking for the sixth chair, you get a business call. Right? And, oh, my goodness, someone's bringing an extra friend. Okay, well, now we need one extra chair. And then, oh, our PowerPoint presentation thing isn't working, so how are we going to, are we going to have to go get the old-style kind of projector screen from the other room? And yeah. they threw in all these different distractions. Mm-hmm. And women and men did equally bad. Uh-huh. None of them did particularly well. Okay. okay, first of all. Both of them did equally bad. They forgot the same amount of things. They didn't handle the things as optimally as they could. Mm-hmm. Whereas the control group did a very good job. Without the distractors. Without the distractors. When there were no distractors, the control group, both men and women, did a great job. Okay. So uh, across the whole study, the only thing that changed performance was how many distractors there were. Uh Uh-huh. It was not gender. Okay. And this is a true-to-life thing. So when you feel invested in what is happening, Mm -hmm. you're both able to do it to the same extent. Mm Mm-hmm. So what people are proposing now is just that men don't feel invested in multitasking at home. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that supports this idea that researchers have that it's just an investment issue more than a, a, a ability issue is that when you give men and women both pictures of dirty rooms uh-huh. or clean rooms, whatever, just a, on, a, on a spectrum, they rate the cleanliness the same amount. Okay. But when a woman walks through the room, she picks up the socks on the floor. Okay. But he uh-huh. doesn't. Mm-hmm. So this is what researchers are proposing. It's not that we as women have a natural inclination towards multitasking. It's just that we have been taught that it's our job. Because when a man is put in a room and told you have to set up a business meeting, mm-hmm. he can do it. Yeah. But when you get into a home situation, even if he sees it, they just don't see it as their responsibility in the same way. So Which, they do see the socks. They see the socks. Right. But they just don't take ownership of it. Which is a good and a bad thing. Right? Because it's a good thing because the answer is super simple. Just take ownership. You're mm-hmm. able. You're capable. Mm-hmm. You're. Everyone knows that you're capable of doing this. There's mm-hmm. no. There's no weird looking down on men going on here. It's like mm-hmm. you're more than capable of this. Yeah. So the good news is this is an easy fix. Right. If you throw yourself into this, this is an easy fix. Mm-hmm. You know. Now it might have to have some hard conversations where you figure out what are our priorities as a family, what do we let go, what do we take on more of, those kinds of things. And we're not telling him he. It may not be his job to pick up the socks. Exactly. You might, you might decide as you divide up the mental load that it's her job to pick up the socks, but it's his job to make sure homework is done. Exactly. Right? So yeah. But, but what we're saying is that first of all, neither spouse should have to feel like they're constantly scrambling to multitask because neither spouse is going to be good at it. Yeah, that's what research shows. It's not that mm-hmm. women are good at multitasking and women are, or men are bad. It's not that men are good and women are bad. Yes. It's that both of them do better when they're not. Right. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's what research really does show. 
Yeah. Both of them do better when they don't have to multitask. Right. And a lot of this mental load means that she's always multitasking. Well, and yeah, and, and let's just and let's just picture this. So she's trying to get dinner ready. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, she's got the nine-year-old sitting at the kitchen counter who has to get homework done. And she's got the three-year-old that she's trying to keep interested and not pulling on her leg. Who's also potty training and who's also there and... Yeah, and, and, and who might have to go pee. So she's trying to make dinner while barking orders at the nine-year-old to keep doing her math. <laughs> and the three-year-old keeps pulling on her leg. And then going into the coat closet and squatting, which is making her really nervous. Right. And so and so she's multitasking because she's dinner plus trying to control these two kids. And that's the example of the concurrent multitasking where everyone is found. We don't do it very well. And it mm-hmm. leads to more mistakes. And so what happens? Dinner gets burnt. Dinner gets burnt and the kid goes pee in the closet. Yep. Or, yeah. else, the nine, or else she snaps at the nine-year-old and the nine-year-old starts crying. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Or there's mm-hmm. there's all sorts of ways it can go wrong and it's more likely to happen if you're multitasking versus what would have happened if, you know, sometimes you have to multitask a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what if it was just making dinner and the nine-year-old yeah. and dad had the three-year-old on potty training duty? Right. You know, all of a sudden it's one second, sweetie, you stir the pot you yeah. set the simmer, you have five minutes, you go, you have five minutes of your undivided attention to your daughter, you go back, and it's right. a lot easier. The fewer distractors that you put in, the better we do. Yeah, and what if, or what if she simply knew that he was the one responsible for homework, and so the homework was going to get done at some point that night. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have to stress about it while she was making dinner. Right. You know, and then, and then that just really changes how you see your life. Because, yeah, going through, I don't think that we understand the stress of making dinner. I don't think that everyone understands the stress of making dinner when there's two kids demanding your attention at the same time. And yet that is the daily life for so many people. And so, yeah, a lot of women, we may not have high-powered jobs. Mm -hmm. Some women do, by the way. Some women have high-powered jobs, and they also have the three-year-old and the (laughs) nine-year-old pulling at them when it's time to make dinner. Um, But even if we don't have high-powered jobs, it it doesn't mean that we don't have a, a significant amount of chronic stress from constantly multitasking when we're not good at it. Yes. <laughs> and when we feel like we never get time off. And so what what the book Fair Play talks about is that the aim in the book Fair Play is not to divide up the work equally. It's instead to make sure that everybody gets an equal amount of free time and an equal amount of time to pursue your passions. Yes, and that free time can't lead to more work later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like in the Sandra Mark example, she takes a Saturday morning off and then it's all chaos when she gets home. Yes. It's truly free time where you just kind of zip out and come back and you can just get right back into the swing of things. You don't have to make up for lost time. Mm-hmm. And so that's the aim that everybody gets some time away from this mental load <laughs> and everybody still gets time to pursue your passions. How you decide to divide up those tasks is really going to be very unique for you as a family. Yeah. But everybody does need that time off. And just because she's a stay-at-home mom does not mean that she's relaxing all the time and that she doesn't need the help from her husband who might work outside the home. And so listen, I think it's module four of our Boost Your Libido course. We do talk about the mental load and how that can hurt libido. So I encourage you, you know, to check out the Boost Your Libido course. We're going to be talking about that a lot this month too, because this really is the key to libido, I think, is just giving some women some freedom to have the time to take a deep breath and relax and not have to think about anybody else. 
And hopefully you don't need to go to hotel or hospital to get that. <laughs> <laughs> so check out the book Fair Play. Um, uh, we're just disclaimer again, there is some language in it, but it's a it's a great um, book that can help you visualize this. There's all, also some amazing cards that go along with that. Please take a look at the blog post this week where we were talking about emotional labor and mental load because. Uh, they went into that in a lot of detail. And I think they'd be really great to read with your husband or your wife if you're a guy listening to this um, because it can start some of these conversations. And over the next month, we're going to be looking at how to set minimum community standards. We're going to be looking at how to change the dynamic in your marriage so we're not nagging. And I hate that word, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how to get rid of nagging in, in your marriage um, and also how to get your kids involved. So stick around. It's going to be a great series and check out the blog post and I am so glad that you have joined us on To Love, Honor, and Vacuum and we'll talk to you again next week.